0: Welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North.
1: So here, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. On this Wednesday, August 16th, we are going to be talking to Beer. Singh bala a little bit later on in the show now this is going to be a very fun interview i hope because this is a guy who i'm my mic is doing the same thing it did yesterday we might have to to look into uh why this has gone on i've done the thing that supposedly fixed it yesterday but i don't know why it fixed it but uh delbir sing bala is the the gentleman you may have seen in a number of news stories who has uh he did what we were all being told to do which is get an electric vehicle and he took it on a big road trip thinking it was going to be great for his family and ended up having to abandon it in the United States and rent a gas powered, I think it was a RAV4 to get home. So we'll uh, talk to Del Beer in just a little bit of time. But I I want to turn our attention to Prince Edward Island first and foremost, where uh, this morning, Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservatives, did a press conference and a poor unsuspecting reporter who has been around and and should have known better said, Set him up for the perfect throwdown. She should have seen him do this before and know this was going to happen when she framed the question the way she did. She did the thing that a lot of reporters do, and it doesn't really work, especially against a guy like Pierre Polyev or Ron DeSantis in the U.S., that the old people say or experts say trick. And this was the exchange. Now, admittedly, a little bit awkward to watch, but this is Pierre Polyev being Pierre Polyev in PEI.
0: Hello, Mr. Pallyev. Um A number of your own comments and actions have been
1: um, characterized as dog whistling to by the who? far right. By who? By a number of by different. Who? Um, by But I think it's been by characterized who? by that way. But by you, who? are you trying to court, Are, I, I are you trying to, to I court I just need to clarify. Right Sorry, though. I
0: just need to clarify. By who? By a number but. of different experts and who, a number ex- of who are different people. Experts? Who the experts? Who work who, who, who are the work experts? in this? Okay, well, I think uh, right. it's been established that right. this is this is a, a concern. I, I, are you trying to court the far right vote? I, sorry, I, who are these experts? You say that there are experts who are saying this. Who are they? My question is, are you trying to court the sorry, far yeah, right I, vote? Sorry, I am sorry. Your question uh, seems to be based on a false premise. You can't even uh, tell me who these experts are. It sounds like it's just a CBC smear job. Thank you. But it, but question. what about the question about whether that? The answer the is question. that I'm, I have a common sense agenda. To axe the carbon tax, bring home powerful paychecks, clear the way to build affordable homes to put those uh, put people uh, in housing that they they can afford. That is a common sense, mainstream Canadian agenda. And I know that Justin Trudeau's supporters are so desperate to distract from that because his political pe- career is falling apart. So we're seeing uh, we're seeing an attempt here to distract. And protect Justin Trudeau uh, from his extremely unpopular carbon taxes and other failing policies, but we won't let him or his um, or, or others distract from that reality. So, thank you.
1: That was conservative leader Pierre Polyev uh, accusing a reporter who incidentally wasn't even with CBC of being uh, asking a question that sounded like a CBC smear job. The question uh, in case you missed it there, are you courting the far right vote? Now there was zero zero justification for the question apart from what unnamed experts say and experts say he's dog whistling to the far right. Experts say, which experts? Well, experts, you know, uh, people people are saying it people experts. you know it's a, you you know what i'm i'm talking about and when he says no i don't tell me she's like well i mean my my question is are like so so the whole point of a question is that when you're a reporter you can't just go and pull something out of thin air and get an answer on it or expect an answer on it. You can't go at a press conference and uh, say, oh, are you, uh, oh, I don't know, are you robbing any banks? Because it would be a little odd if you don't give justification for why you are asking that question. For example, perhaps your premise is, well, a a report has said that you might like to be robbing banks. So is it true? Are you robbing banks? Uh, So in this case, she's coming with accusations that are based on what unnamed, unsighted experts are saying, I assume... She's talking about the story we were discussing yesterday on the show in which CBC and, well, sorry, the Canadian press actually, quotes unnamed experts saying that uh, Pierre Polyev talking about the World Economic Forum is dog whistling to the far right or something. But she doesn't even say that in her question. She's not even referring to explicitly the World Economic Forum. And uh, Pierre Polyev has done what the last two conservative leaders have failed to do, which is refuse to play the media's game when they ask questions like that. Aaron O'Shea, Aaron there's a Freudian slip. Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Scheer, and I should say about Andrew Scheer, he, he's acknowledged that this was a bit of a shortcoming when he was the conservative leader, and he's been a lot more uh, forceful in his engage- engagements after being the conservative leader. But those two, when they were campaigning and the media asked them very loaded questions, would kind of just go along with them. They, they wouldn't really push back against these very charged premises. And what Pierre Pauli, did, when I looked at it, reminded me of this old interview that was done by Australian broadcaster George Nagas with Margaret Atwood. Margaret Thatcher, I'm mixing up my names. George Nagas did not interview Margaret Atwood uh, and Margaret Atwood was not the British Prime Minister. Margaret Thatcher, I would much rather Margaret Thatcher than Margaret Atwood. In fact, I think Margaret Thatcher might have even done a better job at writing The Handmaid's Tale than Margaret Atwood. But uh, George Nagas had interviewed Margaret Thatcher in Britain He he was from Australia, he had come to the UK, and he had just been on assignment in Central America and was sitting down with Margaret Thatcher and having literally just come from the airport, was dropping the people in Britain say shtick. And this is how Margaret Thatcher handled it.
2: Why do people stop us in the street almost and tell us that Margaret Thatcher isn't just inflexible, she's not just single-minded, on occasion she's plain pig-headed and won't be told by would anyone. Would you tell me who has stopped you in the street and said that? Ordinary Britons. Where? In conversation. But I thought you'd pubs. just come from Belize. Oh, this is not the first time we've been here. Will you tell me who and where and when? Ordinary Britons in restaurants, How in camps, many? How many? I would say at least one in two. I'm sorry, it's an expression I've never heard. Tell me who has said it to you, when these, and These are where. people that we meet in passing, but and we obviously raise the question of the, the state of their country with them, and they tell us, yes, we have a tough part, prime minister, but she's a little bit pig-headed. She won't be told by anybody.
1: Isn't this interesting? Even the tone of voice you're using is changing from what you used earlier. That was the Iron Lady uh, establishing why it is she was so deserving of the name the Iron Lady. And if a reporter is going to do the whole people say thing, they should be prepared to show the receipts. Now, some people have said that Margaret Thatcher was being a little bit unfair there. Well, you know, how is he supposed to know the names of people? And there is some truth to the idea that there can be a, a current that exists in society. And you are asking a question that is accurately reflecting that current but even so, more often than not, when journalists are doing people say, what they're actually saying is, I think, but I can't just say this and attribute it to myself because I'm supposed to be impartial. So when they defer to experts or people that are unnamed, that are unsighted, they're trying to kind of hide their own perception of a person. I mean, if uh, the reporter in this case had just come out and say, said, listen, when you do this and this and this, it looks to me like you are doing X, you are courting the far right vote. What? say you sir or to use the old line of british barristers i put it to you sir that when you say x you are courting the far right vote what do you say to that But that's not what happened. Instead, we defer to experts who are supposedly authorities on what the Conservative leader stands for and says. And and Pierre Polyev's response to this was that I'm not playing that game. And I think it was, if you look at the reaction on Twitter, uh, he seems to be winning that exchange uh, very much. Uh, We'll get back to this in a little bit of time, but I want to draw our attention to this story. Very fun story in in some ways, because it, it just speaks to what a lot of people kind of feel is the inevitable outcome of this rapid and extreme pivot to electric vehicles but we're all told electric vehicles are the future it's the way we do something for the planet we're told electric vehicles are just as good as uh, gas-powered vehicles or diesel-powered vehicles you'll save money and more importantly you won't have any issues getting around the country you won't have any issues because we've got all these charging networks uh you've done it you do your part for the planet. Well. Uh, Delbir Singh Bala thought he was doing exactly that. He spent over $100,000 to buy a Ford pickup truck that was electric. You can even get an electric pickup truck. So it's not even like you're stuck with this little, you know, crappy Prius. You can actually get a big manly electric truck. And he did that and took his family on a vacation to Chicago. Uh, They were able to get there, but on the way back, they ran into problem after problem. Delbir Singh Bala joins me now. Uh, Del Beer, it's good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: So, first off, why did you decide to get an electric truck?
2: Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, for newer technology, cleaner energy. So I bought that idea, and uh, I'm in trucking. So we uh, and I use my truck for going out to do recreational work. So I need to haul something, trailers, RV, boat. So uh, And I change my truck every four years. So it's just, okay, this thing comes up. Let's try this one.
1: So it's a Ford F-150 Lightning. You, you paid $115,000 for it. You did the thing we're all told we're supposed to do here. Uh, you had to spend more money on that, as I understand it, at your own house to uh, get like the, you know, the charger put in place. Uh, but what happened when you were trying to drive home from Chicago?
2: Oh, actually, you know, I have to correct you. Uh, it, the problem happens on the way to Chicago, not coming oh, on the back.
1: way to Chicago. On okay.
2: the way. Okay, yeah. We, we started our trip uh, on July 27th on Thursday morning, 5 p.m. We were like three families, like uh, old friends with our kids. And uh, so it's a uh, first stop for ours was uh, Wisconsin Dells. We have to stay there for three days for, you know, water parks. And uh, so we figured out this, uh, it was around 1,050 kilometers to Wisconsin Dells. And uh, to my experience driving this truck, uh, I was driving doing around 450 kilometers in uh, city range. So we decided to, uh, okay, we can charge the couple times, 350 kilometers, and then another after 350 kilometers, and we'll get to Wisconsin Dells. And uh, we have a charger to, at our resort over there. And uh, at our first stop in Fargo, uh, we already researched before we were going to charge. And uh, range uh, was like actual advertised range on this truck is around 515 kilometers. But to my experience, it was going 450. So, okay, that's why we plan to charge for three after 350 kilometers. When we got to Fargo, uh, that level three charger, which was available, that was at their vast acres. Uh, mall parking lot it took two hours and five minutes to charge it and uh, more than that uh, to my surprise i never expected that it would be that expenses it took 56 dollar u.s to charge it. and uh, that comes surprise to me so but uh, we were uh, on the trip and uh, a bunch of friends we got together we hardly planned after months of planning all of, all the locations, everything. So, you know what? Okay, let's go ahead with that trip. We'll see it after what is going to happen. So to our second stop where we have to charge in Albertsville, Minnesota, right? the outlet mall, they have a parking, uh, they have a charger in their parking lot over there. So that charger was faulty. like it didn't connect to the truck. And uh, my truck was uh, showing it inside it as a faulty connection so we called the number on the charger to get it going so but uh, it was just a call center they said some technician will give me call nobody got the call so that uh, and uh, after that that closest uh, char- level three charging station was uh, around 10 miles away so i went there to my surprise that charger was out of commission <laughs> and at that point uh it was late evening. We started our trip around 5 a.m. It was around 4.35 o'clock already in the evening. All, everybody of us was like kind of frustrated and, you know, distracted about only going through this thing, right? So uh, our, our range for the truck only remains at around 10 or 12 miles at the time, right? And the closest level three charger was 20 miles away so we decided you know what we had a week-long trip so you know what make me decide that you know what let's leave it here so we took a rental car and uh, towed that truck to the full four dealership over there and we completed the trip with the car and on our way back we picked up the truck and come back
1: so you were able to get the truck back at least on that uh, you were able to get it charged to bring it back home
2: yeah after yeah after uh, we spent uh, like from july 27th uh, we came back on august 3rd so august 3rd night i returned the rental and you know minnesota our right beside elk river picked up the uh, you know truck and came back
1: I, I know you've had a huge amount of interest in in your story from canada and, and from the us here and I, i'm curious and in, in people that have reached out to you were you just really really unlucky or is this a, a common problem for electric vehicle owners
2: uh, you know what? I've been receiving a lot of uh, message and phone calls. It is very, very common problem, and especially with the pickup truck. I can say, like, why we need a pickup trucks? I'm not talking about small cars. Why we need a pickup trucks? We have mm-hmm. it because it has a more use to it, right? We have to haul RV, boat, you know, haul the like. i we trucking, we have to haul the parts, tires. So we have the pickup trucks have the more use to it. That's why we need them, right? But it doesn't solve any problem, the like purpose of, of a pickup truck. And now lack of infrastructure, even the infrastructure is built. If you go on a trip, who would be, who want to charge every three hours? Who want to wait every two hours like, for charging every three hours?
1: Well, I mean, that that's the most incredible part of this is that even when yeah. it worked, when, when the charger worked, it took you over two hours. Whereas, you know, I had hours. to, you know, fill up my gas can or fill up my gas tank the other day. And I was at the gas station for, I think, you know, 90 seconds filling it up and then, you know, a minute to pay for it. And then I was on the road in two and a half minutes, whereas you were there for over two hours. And that was when it worked the way it was supposed to work.
2: Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I've been driving on the road and uh, I love to travel. My in-laws are in Edmonton. I've been driving there last 18 years. Every year, we go there once or twice. So that's around 1,400 kilometers, and we are able to make it in a day over there. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine to get there in a day over there with this one.
1: Yeah. And, I don't, and this I don't, is I'm the not problem even confident anymore. People have raised is that, you know, electric vehicles maybe are fine for driving around the city, but for people like you that are, are driving for longer distances, it wasn't working. And now, this this truck that you spent $115,000 on, you're only using to basically go to work and back in, in your own city, right? Yeah. Wow. So, do you think the problem then is that we need to just spend more money and invest more in building more chargers? Cause that's what electric vehicle fans have said in response to your story is that, well, this just means we need to put more work into it and we need to, you know, make more of a, an effort.
2: To my understanding with my little experience and a little time, but I got like, I live in Winnipeg and uh, there's a lo- lot of rural spaces we go out for camp and go hunting and that area so like every two hours if you're hauling something because this if this truck goes uh, 350 kilometers on a highway if you're driving on a highway we don't know how much it will go if you have a boat behind it there is i couldn't find any data because they said it's been affected by the you know now it's a how many places you will create that infrastructure like every every two hours in every direction and somebody who will drive it uh, i to my understanding would be super organized to plan it somebody who will be super organized with hey they can plan it maybe drive in a city
1: yeah, yeah the it. days of the old impromptu road trip of just let's just get in the car and go somewhere are, are gone when you have a, an electric vehicle well i'm I'm glad you were able to to make it home and I, I'm glad you were able to salvage your uh, holiday with your your family uh, it wasn't ideal but you uh, adapted and a good old gas-powered car was there to save the day uh, Delbir Singh Valls president of Altoba Freight Systems thank you so much for coming on Delbir. Thank, thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much. I, we had, I realize his video was frozen near the end of that. And I can only surmise that he just has very bad luck with technology. Maybe it was the uh, same company that made the electric vehicle chargers in Minnesota had uh, done the webcam or the internet connection there. But uh, we got Del Beer on, and I'm glad he was there. And, you know, I will say, talking to real people that have gone through this is, is great because, you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, you know, why? Anyone who doesn't like electric vehicles, it's because they've never tried them. And this guy's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. He spent the money. He he planned, he was so fastidious about making sure, okay, we're going to go to this charger. And if that didn't work, we'll go to this one. And then eventually he only had enough range to like get back to, No, he had to tow it, but he like only had enough range to uh, do nothing and uh, maybe get to the car rental place to rent a car that he could then take down to Chicago to enjoy his trip. Poor guy. But I'm, I'm glad he salvaged that uh, very much. Uh, one thing I want to say is that when you talk about environmental initiatives and green initiatives, It is amazing how virtue signaling triumphs over facts and triumphs over science. And this story I found to be somewhat delightful. Do you remember back in the 2019 election, Justin Trudeau made this uh, very audacious pledge to plant 2 billion trees. This was the uh, uh, tweet that he put out. It was a 2 billion tree promise. We'll plant 2 billion trees over the next 10 years. That's it. That's the tweet. Now that was in September of 2019, which means by September 27th of 2029, we are supposed to have 2 billion new trees that have been planted by the federal government. Now, if you work that out, that's about 200 million a year. Now, uh, for the first couple of years, the government hadn't really gotten around to planting any, and then they were supposed to plant 60 million, but only planted 22 million. And it's uh, a little bit odd that all of this this really bold uh, planning on tree planting, has not come to roost. Now, this is not just something that Justin Trudeau tweeted about once and forgot about. This is something that he has pledged time and time again. In October of 2019, we're going to plant 2 billion trees in the next decade so we can leave them a cleaner, greener planet. January 11, 2021, we're planting 2 billion trees. April 22, 2021, we are banning harmful single-use plastics and... We're planting 2 billion trees. Uh, what do we have here? June 5th, 2021, we're planting 2 billion trees. Hashtag World Environment Day, because it's not a real environmental pledge unless you put a hashtag on it. August 9th, 2021, planting 2 billion trees and much more. We'll keep doing everything we can to fight climate change and create good middle class jobs for Canadians. Oh, I mention to the middle class. Take a shot. Oh, October 21st, 2021, yada, 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 and planting 2 billion trees. Something about kids and grandkids. October 31st, 2021, we're planting 2 billion trees and banning harmful single-use plastics. Well, if you ban harmful plastics, I believe you outlaw Justin Trudeau. Nevertheless, this is what we have been promised time and time again by the Prime Minister. We are planting 2 billion trees. Well, then we look at this headline in CBC, Ottawa using creative accounting on its two billion tree pledge, environmental watchdog says, you see, if you read the fine print of it, it's not the government actually planting two billion trees. They're trying to take credit for trees that are already being planted by other organizations, other divisions and existing government programs and say that those all fall under the banner of the two billion tree pledge. For example, in August, Natural Resources Canada has revised its numbers. They were supposed to have planted 90 million trees by 2022, and now they say they've planted 110 million trees, but initially, they had said they had only planted 29 million trees in 2021. Uh, when you look at the way they've done this, they've actually added millions of trees that were planted through other programs, through other departments, and they've decided to say that these are now uh, these are now trees that they're going to claim under the two billion. So if it, it's like basically COVID numbers, where they just like look and find anything they can to just say, oh, this is a COVID case. So if you've planted planted a tree in your backyard, let the government know because they're going to just include that in their numbers, even though they didn't do it. So essentially, their argument here is that, oh, when we said we were going to plant 2 billion trees, we really, really, really didn't want you to take it literally. It is just pure virtue signaling and government incompetence all wrapped up into one. And not that I live and breathe by what the environmental watchdogs who think the government's not doing enough on climate change say, but I believe that they're the only ones being particularly honest here when they look at the government figures and say that it just doesn't add up, that the government is not holding up It's end of the bargain. And you might even say they are pining over it. I'll see myself out. Anyway, just (laughs) as we wind things down here, I want to go back to uh, the discussion I had at the outset about Pierre Polyev and his uh, far-right criticism that he was getting from the media. And I've had a number of people on Twitter that have pointed out to me over the course of the last little while that this has been going around that the reporter herself actually outed herself. She she tweeted about not getting a question from uh, Pierre Polyev on this, or not getting an answer uh, from Pierre Polyev. And uh, oddly, I was trying to look her up on Twitter, and I, I don't know if uh, I they weren't loading up for me a second ago, but I, I pulled them up again. And then she was also lamenting that she didn't get a chance to ask him about giving the wrong name of PEI in French. I, I, I missed this part of it, but apparently... Uh, Prince Edward Island in French. He called it the Island of Saint Edward instead of the Island of Prince Edward. And uh, this was uh, pointed out by a reporter. And then uh, Teresa Wright said, I was going to ask him about this, but I wasn't having much luck with my attempts to ask questions. So uh, we were back to just trying to get an answer on whether he's courting the far right vote. And this is an interesting question that I, I feel no one is asking but the media. And it it really says a lot more about the people who bring it up than it does about Pierre Polyev, when he's accused of uh, really taking very reasonable arguments about whether it's the WEF or housing or inflation. And this is something that we then shoehorn into this narrative of being far right. When I hear about Pierre Polyev from normies, from people that aren't like me, from people that don't live and breathe politics, it's actually not the mainstream media's and liberals framing of him that they're getting it's the videos on housing that they saw on Instagram that someone they know shared uh, that are getting through to them and and this is i think if you're following canadian politics really really closely you'll see probably all sides of it but if you're not Stuff that's breaking through is not, oh, he's scary, and he's talking about defunding the CBC, and oh, he's talking about the World Economic Forum and all of that. The stuff that's breaking through from the conservatives right now on their campaign strategy is the stuff that really resonates with people. And and right now, we have a housing crisis. We have uh, an affordability crisis. When you look at that clip, I don't know if we can put up, Sean, a still of the Pierre, Pierre Polyev. Uh, clip we played earlier without playing the clip. I don't know if that's something we're technically able to do. If it is, put it up. But the one thing I, I find the most interesting about it is not that he is uh, smacking down the reporter uh, and saying, well, you know, that sounds like a CBC smear job. The part that I find to be the most incredible about it is if you look in the background right over, I think it's his right ear, uh, gas is 185 cents a litre. That to me is the part of this story that should shock people. That this is an entirely normal thing. That gas is a buck 85 a liter, a buck 85.8. So we're actually let's round it up to a buck 86. If I won't get uh, jumped on by the media for uh, fudging the numbers, but almost a buck 86 a liter, and that is not the most expensive gas is in the country at any given moment. Uh, I'm going to look up right now. I didn't plan to do this. The price of gas in Vancouver right now, because that's always a, a spot uh, at the Canco in Surrey, British Columbia, a ninety four nine a liter. At the co-op on 104th Ave in Vancouver, a buck You go to the Chevron in Aldergrove, BC, and you're spending two o two nine a liter. Uh, you go to the Petrocan in Pitt Meadows. I don't know if I've been to Pitt Meadows. I don't think so, but that is two $205.9 a liter. And this is now an entirely normal way of living. We have that clip now, or that still now. You can put that up there, Sean. A buck eighty five point eight a liter. That to me is the most outrageous part of that clip, not that Pierre Polyev said to a reporter that a very loaded and very thinly supported question, or actually completely unsupported question, was sounding like a CBC smear job. It's that we have an affordability crisis, a cost of living crisis. Uh, Pierre Polyev right now is the only leader of the main three that is talking about anything that matters. And that is something that the media does not seem to get. That does it for us for today. We'll wrap things up there and return on Friday with a very special episode delving in depth to the so-called safe supply of drugs and more broadly the drug crisis in this country. You won't want to miss that. We have three fantastic guests. One of them is Dr. Sharon Koivu. Another is Dr. Julian Summers and Adam Zevo, the National Post columnist. I hope you will tune into that. And also, just a, a bit of a reminder, as I said yesterday, True North is headed back to Davos. We are going to return to cover the world economic forum report on this and why uh, their own policy objectives are not actually conspiracy theories but are things they're very proud of and will be on the ground and if you want to chip in and support our coverage of that you can do so at donate.tnc.news donate.tnc.news hope you have a great rest of the day we'll talk to you on friday thank you god bless and good day to you all
0: thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show